we may be witnesses to a biblical prophecy come true. And there shall be destruction and darkness come up in creation. And the beast shall reign over the earth. Hello and welcome to the Dead Letter Movie Podcast. This is episode 81, recorded June 19th, 2023. I'm Tim. I'm Andrew. And we've got a whopper for you today, folks. Got a double feature with some nifty extras. This yeah. is a, a double feature, the uh, the classic giant atomic monster movie, Them, and Joe Dante's Matinee. Yeah. And in between and before and in between, we have some other little things. And so the idea here was trying to come up with a kind of Saturday after at the movies that you could have potentially gone to with the kind of programming you would get. So we have so and actually I ended up changing a bit part of the programming from what I said last week. And I added the Tingler trailer to the trailers before uh, Ooh. matinee Ooh, the Tingler. And I'll, I'll explain why I did that later. But yeah, so. Yeah, so if you are at the Dead Letter Cinema, this is a long day for you, but just imagine this is Tim and I coming out to give your little curtain speech. In fact, friends, it was a long day for me. I watched all of this the day before we recorded this. Yeah, I did something. So I watched um, Duck and Cover and Twin Peaks The Return and then them, like in a in basically mm-hmm. one sitting. Mm-hmm. And then I did the trailers and matinee in one sitting. Yeah, and then they work. They work pretty yeah, thematically. Yeah. They all like I'm very proud of this. This was just kind of me coming up with stuff by the seat of my pants. Um, this is like the if I worked at an Alamo draft house, this is the kind of thing that I would be pushing for. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm actually very proud of this programming. So I'm glad you all have come along on the ride for this. Yeah, so, you should be. Yeah. It's aces. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so like, let's first go into, and we're not going to go too deep into the shorter things, but uh, we do want to talk about them. It's like, so I just, I decided the best way to start this whole shebang would be the civil defense short duck and cover. There was a turtle by the name of Bert, and Bert the turtle was very alert. When danger threatened him, he never got hurt. He knew just what to do. He ducked. <laughs> Where we have Bert the Turtle. The government made this. You can watch this on the Library of Congress. You can actually watch this just about anywhere that has video mm-hmm. capabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, I found it, uh, like, I, I watched the Library of Congress one thinking that, like, oh, maybe that'll be the best quality one, and I'm not 100% sure. But, yeah. yeah. So this was, so this is, a, yeah, this is a, what we would call a civil defense training film that would be distributed to school children or played before um, civic audiences. Um, So maybe at like, maybe a certain movie screenings, things like that. But these were things that were supposed to be there to help instruct people. And this is about when you see a flash of light, you should duck and cover. And a later movie in our in, in, in our programming will um, debunk how this is a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. More, more than one, actually. We've, yeah. we've got oh, yeah, more than one. Yeah. On. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So this is it's an interesting little curio. It's um, kind of a low key horror short um, because this whole thing is predicated on the fact that at any minute something terrible could happen and we have to be prepared. And I can tell you, having watched it, this because I think I watched this before, probably in the 90s, as like kind of like a thing on a lark, you know, just to be like, oh, yeah, one of these. And watching it this time, I was like, this explains a lot about the generation that grew up watching these things. Yeah. I mean, not to throw shade. I'm just saying, like, if you grew up in a time where this was a thing we were constantly worried about, it's going to have an effect on you. Yeah. Yeah. This this very much was born of and informs the culture of of people who were alive at the time. Exactly. And yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's relatively well-made for what it is. I mean, like it's, yeah, as, as such things go, there, there are lots of others from, from this time on any number of subjects, Mm -hmm. most of which are just unbelievably poor in every possible way. This, this is sort of an exception. Um, it, it's it's tone is very dire. It's not the only one out there that, mm-hmm. that tries to strike such a tone, but this one kind of succeeds and it's it's more dire because this is this is smoke and mirrors. This this is nothing. This isn't gonna work. This this mm-hmm. might prevent a panic, maybe, but no, this this won't actually help you. And we'll have we'll do it all by adding a catchy song. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing about it is that like that song did get stuck in my head, so it did work. And the funny, like the funny-er thing about all that is the, 
the fact that we're trying to put this like happy thing on something that is so dire is that this you can clearly tell that they were mostly just focusing on the fact that they just wanted people to have something to do to deal with their fear Mm -hmm. like this probably wouldn't do much to help you in a situation unless your jacket is made of lead um and and why would you be wearing that but like there's so but i know that there's something about like okay if something happens this is the thing that i do and there is a power in that um for people as long as we like even if it isn't like really something that's going to do anything it at least makes you feel like you're doing something and that can help alleviate the fears that you're having yeah. to deal with in your everyday life. Yeah. So. Exercising some bit of control over your environment and your circumstances, mm-hmm. or at least giving you the illusion of doing so. Exactly. And we didn't see any of that happen like a few years ago at all. Yeah. No. Yeah. Not one bit. That did not happen. Um, but yeah, anyway, so this is like, I was talking with Tim before we were, go- before we were going on, and, like, this Duck and Cover feels like a very good, like, real-world example of trying to show how we as a society were having some paranoia about not just atomic testing, but the Cold War as well. And so the fact that we are in a situation where whole cities could be annihilated and how that would affect us is, is really interesting when you consider the American psyche, like, that this really put a toll on it. And we're, we aren't alone on this. Um, we'll talk a little bit later about other movies where that was a thing. But mm-hmm. yeah. And so like I felt like to have this be our first thing that we watch really kind of makes a tone for the mindset that we're going into. Yeah. 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 I have to agree. Yeah. And I've I've described this in in conversation as, you know, we've we've got a whole line of, of stuff for this series. Some mm. of it is very serious. Some of it is very, very silly. And there's stuff that's kind of in between, bits of both. And this uh, is kind of in between. Yeah. Yeah, it's serious, but has some silly moments. I feel for that monkey at the beginning, though. Mm-hmm. Why did he have a stick of dynamite on a stick? What's, what's up I mean, with that? Really, what's, what's, what's the deal there? What has he got against the turtle? Yeah, what did the turtle do? Um, yeah. yeah, I'm not going to call it a hoot, but it's certainly an interesting curio. If you are interested in this kind of thing, I would recommend um, the Atomic Cafe from from the 80s. It is a, a comp- you could call it a documentary, but it's really more of a collage of these kinds of movies, um, kind of examining the American propaganda that was coming out at this time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, worth worth checking out if you want to. But duck and cover, it's 10 minutes your time. Yeah, do it. Remember what to do, friends. Now tell me right out loud. What are you supposed to do when you see the flash? Not a light. Not a light. Not a light. And so then I had what, so what would be our serial in this programming? I decided to do something unethical and that was take part of a TV show and make it kind of a short film. When Twin Peaks, The Return came back on, episode eight was like the one that made the big splash. And part of it was because the latter part, of, well, most of the episode is basically this B movie around after Atomic Blast. And sure, this all makes sense in the context of the show. I promise you, if you want to get into that, Maybe I'm, kind I'm of, not getting of. into that today, yeah. <laughs> but like, oh no, it fits. No, it like, it really does make a lot of sense. Um, honestly, you won't believe me about this, but when that aired, there was actually a lot of people like, I think this is the most straightforward episode of Twin Peaks there is and kind of might be. Maybe. Um, yeah, Maybe. No, no, dude, I have seen the show, man. I, I, no, <laughs> you have I, not. I, you have I, not finished it. You got lost where everyone true. else gets lost in season two. So <laughs> that's true. I, uh, I still feel justified in saying, it makes about as much sense as the rest of the show. True, true. And anyway, so we have this like atomic blast, the the first atomic blast, the Trinity explosion, mm-hmm. which kind of causes this like bad things come out because of it. And we get, we're treated to this little David Lynch B movie, black and white, well, mostly black and white B movie where like a teenage couple are out walking and then these insect lizard things come about. And then there's this, this woodsman character who looks like he's been through a forest fire comes out is trying to find a light for cigarettes and then proceeds to well run amok isn't the right word and then proceeds to do something really scary in a radio station i'll i'll, mm-hmm. I'll put it mm-hmm. that way um and so i picked this because a it was the first atomic type movie i could think of well not a movie but the first atomic type thing i could think of in recent memory and honestly i may watch this again before i go see oppenheimer just to like <laughs> add to it and uh, this is all, oh, a big chunk of it is a lot of experimental visual stuff after the bomb explosion. Um, and, and Tim, you can talk about that because you had a good insight on that. 
Well, yeah. Um, so this was was very very reminiscent of the uh, the Stargate sequence at the end of uh, Kubrick's two thousand one. Mm-hmm. There's, there's lots of surreal sort of abstract visuals as as well as some of the the concrete stuff, and we've got characters watching themselves watch themselves through different perspectives and moving back and forth through nonlinear time shenanigans and stuff mm-hmm. and you know real dialogue to speak of and there's no. there's there there's there there are things happening but a lot of it's not really gonna be explained by anything the characters say when there are characters mm-hmm. Yeah, and we are mo- and we're treated to uh, Pendricky's um, Thrindity of the Victims of Hiroshima. Um, this is like the background music for the bulk of the explosion and such. And that's when we have that Stargate sequence that Tim's talking about. Mm-hmm. And I know that Kubrick was an influence on, on David Lynch, but I have also been going through the... Uh, the Criterion Collection, because that's like a thing I do to just kind of go through. And I got to the by Brackage part of the of of the series. And Stan Brackage was this experimental filmmaker. And for a guy who lived in Boulder, Colorado, I should have seen more of his movies. Um, he famously lived there and taught there and stuff. But uh, I finally got around to watching it. And a lot of Stan Brackage's like painting negative experimental shorts look like this like they look like that big chunk of it and so i kind of see it as like this hybrid between between 2001 and a bracket short i also think it helps sets this mood for because you've already been kind of like low-key brought into the paranoia but now you're like really into the dread and the worry about what what atomic stuff is going to do to you yeah and and so like whereas lynch isn't really with the exception of maybe the lizard ant the lizard insect things um isn't really so much concerned about like what radiation does in that sense he was he looks seems like he's kind of concerned about like what if like atomic explosions opens up rifts into other dimensions and causes things to leak out mm-hmm. um which i that's that's kind of how what i buy into yeah um but uh that's uh that's that's what we did there that's why that's why i picked this for our serial port i would love to see this in a drive-in someday um, this was this was on the list of Shudder's scariest movie moments, um, believe it or not, just like the whole sequence, <laughs> um, which is probably the longest sequence on because they, they basically say from atomic blast to the, to yeah, to, the until the credit roll until yeah. the credit roll, which is like 40 minutes of just pure yeah. atomic horror and good time um, <laughs> if you're into it. And I was into it. I'll just say it's like uh, before we move on, I'm just going to say that was not a lucky penny. No, no, it was not. Unless you count bad luck. This is the water. And this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. By direction of the President of the United States, stay in your homes, I repeat. Stay in your homes. Your personal safety, the safety of the entire city depends on your full cooperation with the military authorities. All right, and let's get into terror, horror, excitement, and mystery in them. Yes. <laughs> 1954. What is Atomic Power going to do? Well, in this movie, Santa Claus fights giant ants. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so yeah, I was remembering that he that Edmund, what is it, Edmund Glenn, I think, or... Gwen. Edmund Gwen, Gwen, that's right, Edmund Gwen. So I, I, I am not a big Christmas movie person, so, but I... Did was like oh yeah he is santa claus i think of him more as this guy who is in certain hitchcock movies so yeah yeah fair, when fair I, enough but yeah, yeah. I, I think he is more broadly known for as oh he's 100 percent better known as on 34th street exactly so this is him fighting ants mm-hmm. also and, james uh, rns mm-hmm. who is matt dillon from gunsmoke but also peter graves's brother half brother, well, half brother but yeah and he looks like and sounds like his brother i they, they they do much much more when they're they're younger um mm-hmm. so, oh totally yeah yeah quick quick aside here um mm-hmm. mr arness's half-brother peter graves mm-hmm. made a very very similar film called the beginning of the end are they ants or are they just no insects they grasshoppers grasshoppers that's right giant yeah. grasshoppers yeah. instead yeah. of ants yeah but the idea is essentially the same mm-hmm the thing I was thinking about about this, and so like general context of this movie is this was supposed to be a 3D movie originally, and they scrapped that idea. Um, so Beast of 20,000 Fathoms um, was pretty popular, and they kind of wanted to like follow that trend. 
Um, so Beast of 20,000 Fathoms, which is based off a Ray Bradbury short story. A beast, a prehistoric beast is woken up from an atomic blast and gets up and runs amok. I mean, that's that's a short long of it. Um, and uh, and yep. so off of that, they wanted to kind of concentrate on this atomic horror thing. And so this is our first big bug movie. And so this was originally going to be in 3D, but then they were like, on second thought, no. And it was going to be in color. And they were like, on second thought, like it was going to be in 3D and color, Then, but they were having issues with that and the equipment wasn't really working. And so they're like, no, instead, we'll just do it in widescreen. And, and the funny thing is like, it was shot open mat because the first time I saw chunks of this, it was in full screen. Mm-hmm. But the, what I got a hold of was like the Blu-ray part and that is in widescreen, but I'm not a hundred percent sure if it actually was released theatrically in widescreen or not. Yeah. Um, I was, yeah. I was a little curious about that myself. So I, uh, I did this as a digital rental, mm-hmm. like you can do from any number of different storefronts now. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was in 16 by nine. It, you know, every, yeah. every pixel on my, you know, you know, standard aspect ratio, you know, modern standard aspect ratio television. Right, right. Yeah. What was the intent here? I I'm I'm not sure because it didn't look like it was cropped either at the sides mm-hmm. or or top and bottom. It it looked like it was properly framed. So I'm I'm not sure. I'm I'm yeah. not sure. But it also works in full screen too. So or open yeah. that because yeah. like it is technically we're seeing a cropped image here. Well yeah. I mean, but apparently it was intended to be shot widescreen, so I guess it's okay. Anyway, none of this is like, but that just tells you that the kind of forethought they put into this. So this is like on the face of it, a B movie, but they definitely put a lot of A picture thought into it. Yeah, and and, and it shows. And it shows like it. Uh, this made a lot of money for Warner Warner's that year. There's they uh, only a couple of other movies did better supposedly, mm-hmm. and and yeah. And so this is directed by Gordon Douglas. Uh, so he did a number of R gang shorts and a. And a good number of Sinatra movies. He did Robin and the Seven Hoods and Young at Heart with Doris Day, which is really funny when you think about this guy making a Doris Day musical, but also this giant ant musical. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's um, uh, that's some range there. I know I had a hint. And he also made The Detective with the uh, with Frank Sinatra, which is I have never seen this, but that is technically the movie where we technically get John McClane, but not really um, because because Die Hard is based off of a book, which is a sequel yeah. to the detective which is why yeah. frank sinatra was contractually obligated to be offered to do die hard die when hard. die hard came out yep um yeah so that's just an interesting little okay thing and that uh, when in this time where we think about multiverses and alternate universes somewhere out there there's an alternate universe where john mcclain is frank sinatra so we're we're, we're gonna dig our way out of that rabbit hole and uh-huh. find ourselves in an ant tunnel Yep, a big old ant tunnel. So James Whitmore is uh, being a cop out in the desert one day, and he sees a little girl with a doll walking by herself. Um, This is aided by a helicopter pilot. And uh, they take the girl in, and she is in this catatonic state um, for a while, and they're noticing some other strange things about this crime scene. And then they give the girl formic acid to smell, and this wakes her up. And that's how she says, and that's how we get the title of the movie, It's Them! And mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. so here's the thing I've been wondering about, and I, this is something I'm curious about what you think. There was no secret that this was big ants. Nope. Um, like it was on, it's they're in the trailer. They're on the, on the poster. Yep. I am curious how this would work. If this works better, if we don't know it's big ants, I like, think it might. Yeah. Cause it's, it's what 20 minutes in where it's like, Hey, these are giant freaking ants. Mm-hmm. And from there, it's it's no longer really any mystery. We, we get some little ed- educational bits that are sort mm-hmm. of narrated by Edmund Gwynn about, <laughs> about the life cycle of ants. and, and Yay, mimicology. Yep. Yeah, yeah, mermicology. He's a mermicology. Yeah, 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 mermicology. Yeah, not mimicology. The study of memes? No, the yeah. mermicology. Mermicology, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, really, I, I, I don't think that the movie did itself any favors by revealing that ahead of time. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it would have got out. I mean, Oh, it definitely after, would have, you know, Im- immediately anyway, but it um, would have had a better power back then because, you know, yeah. they didn't do wide releases back then. So it really would have been word of mouth. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and yeah. reviews, I suppose, but yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that still would have got around. I mean, you know, that, that mm-hmm. would have been spoiled and it's, it's not that long into the movie. No, I, but yeah, I, I feel like, you know, the, the title is extremely generic. It has yep. nothing really to do with ants. Them could mean mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. And in the context of the movie, well, it's it's mysterious, but it's plainly not anything, you know, you might usually think of as them. It's not any, you know, shadowy government organization mm-hmm. or, you know, a, a, a terrorist state somewhere else or 
No, no, it's 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 giant ants because of atomic radiation. Mm-hmm. And and that's 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 all it is. Mm-hmm. Why why them? Why why is why why does she say them? I I don't know. Them them could have been anything. Could have been butterflies, could have been cacti, could have been Ooh, I don't giant know. walking trifid like yeah. cacti. That would have been fun. Yeah. Um, could have been good humor trucks. Could have been anything at all. I, that I love that image right there. Um, good humor trucks. Love it. Um, I am fine with the them title. I think it works well enough um, because I think when you get a title like that, you have to think of the inverse of it, which is us, not the Jordan Peele movie in this case, but like, <laughs> and that's what this is. This is us trying to fight the problem. And the them of all this isn't just giant ants. It's also our feelings about atomic power and our worries about that. But yeah, so Ed, uh, Edmund Gwynn is a very good example of the scientist as hero that builds up out of this. And this the, the thing I find fascinating is that in this time, this is where we see that shift happen from like the Dr. Frankenstein type of scientist who's just out doing anarchy with their science mm-hmm. and and a person who's like his science and his knowledge is what's going to end up saving the day. Um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, for the most part, like, you know, and we got uh we got uh, Graves' half-brother, you know, going about and doing things. He's kind of one of the heroes, but so is James Whitmore. But for the most part, like, you know, we're, we follow Edmund Gwynn a lot more than I think we follow the other two, even though the other two are the boots on the ground actually dealing with the thing where yeah, he's the yeah, scientist really just are. kind of like sort of doing stuff. And they they, they call that out. Um, mm-hmm. The daughter character who... Who is also a doctor. Yeah. 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 Um, they Because they, they they both are. It's a you know, father-daughter team. And, mm-hmm. and, and she calls out yeah he's 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 a little older he's physically unable to to do these things so i'm going with you because you don't know what to look for and Mm -hmm. And i like that scene like that's actually one of the one of the better scenes yeah yeah how do we feel about so like i really could like when we have that first big reveal where i think pat is her name i think um Mm -hmm. where 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 pat is like just you know putzing around and then all of a sudden the big ant like i think that reveal works really well but i can only imagine how much better it would work if i didn't know it was going to be a big ant yeah i i have to agree i think that would have been scarier and so to to some extent okay this this is this is an old movie this is mm-hmm. you know common knowledge them is a movie about you know yeah. giant atomically mutated you and ants. i would have known this anyway yes. but it's, yeah. it's we, we would have known this it. anyway yeah. but yeah. You know, if if we didn't, if I had seen this when I was, you know, like, I don't know, seven or eight and mm-hmm. didn't know ahead of time that it was about giant ants, I think I would have found that scarier. Exactly. Yeah. And so these giant ants are there. They are a problem, um, but they and I think physically and I, I mean that in like a physics sense, we can't actually have ants this big because I think their exoskeletons can't work in uh, that, I, in that I, scale, I think yeah, is the thing. I, yeah. There, there, there are issues. There, there are issues. There, yeah. There are all kinds of issues. It's, it's, it's just a movie. Yeah. You should really just relax. Yeah, no, exactly. But uh, that's, uh, I'm just saying for anybody afraid out there that there could be big ants, like it's, it's scientifically it wouldn't pan out. Yeah. And uh, yeah. the formic all acid. All kinds of reasons why. Yeah. The formic acid of it all is also really fun to me too. Uh, yeah. Apparently in Germany, this was called formicula, which sounds like some kind of ant Dracula at the same time. It does. But, uh, yeah. I would go see that movie. I would, I actually probably would too. Um, you know, instead of fangs, it's mandible. Mandibles. Could, mandibles, yeah. Instead of fangs, it's mandibles. I, I kind of like that. But yeah, like uh, sugar ends up being a big, con- a recurring theme amongst our programming because of this movie. Yep. Yeah, sugar. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. To start with, you know, yep. Okay, here's a, here's a few sugar cubes. Oh, hey, later they... they 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 raid a train car full of sugar. I would love to see that. So okay, and uh, there's another thing that I wish we could see. It doesn't need to be in this movie because like what we have is enough. Um, but I there's this movie coming out soon called The Last Voyage of the Demeter, which is about when Dracula oh, yeah. is on the Demeter coming from Transylvania to uh to England, mm-hmm. and I kind of want there to be like a last voyage of the Viking <laughs> that is you know just a bunch of guys <laughs> just like sailing on a ship and all of a sudden oh my god there's big ants on the ship yep. like big ants on a yep. boat sounds like a pretty fun movie if you ask me and and we and, do get a scene with with some of those we do get a scene and, with a wilhelm yeah. scream if i remember correctly so, oh no wait maybe not there, no, yes uh, yes oh yeah okay okay yeah there there are, there are no three less, at no less than three yeah. in this film instances of the wilhelm scream in 1954 so it's like, mm-hmm. this, this is an old thing 
This is, yeah, this is, so this is actually, so apparently this is only a few months after the movie where it gets the name Wilhelm. Um, because it, uh, I mean, the scream itself is much older because it used to be Wilhelm is this guy on a horse that gets arrowed and, you know, doesn't noise. Um, but really it's supposed to be a man getting eaten by a crocodile. And that that's in some other movie that I can't remember right now, but yeah. yeah. And, but yeah, we hear this three times and we actually hear the last two in pretty close succession. But yeah, I was really listening for it, and it was like a James Whitmore actually gives out one at one point. Yep. And, uh, yeah, he yep. does. Yep, uh, love it. Love. Yeah, and I, it. I had to wonder, you know, if if movie going audiences at the time would have noticed that, or if they would have been so engrossed in the giant ant thing. You know, I bet they would. If they did notice it, they noticed it the the two close to each other. I imagine mm-hmm. they probably mm-hmm. didn't notice it with the boat guy. But yeah. But yeah, there there used to be a lot fewer you know sound effects in movies. Mm-hmm. Like there there were two or three different thunderclaps, and you heard those all the time all the in time. every and, movie. And there's that owl noise that's in like every spooky thing. Yep. Yep. And uh, same, there's like a monkey noise that's in everything. Like this was, and this was when we were getting the sound effects that start to get mm-hmm. recycled all the time. So, mm-hmm. so the so when, remember I said that this is about like when you call it them, you can't help but think about us. So U.S. the government um, helping cooperating with each other and actually solving a problem is mm-hmm. uh, and that's part of the propaganda of this is that like we as americans will get together and we will solve this problem maybe we will deal with it um no matter how ludicrous and scary it is even if it's giant ants coming out of the new mexican desert and yeah <laughs> so yeah and the uh i don't know i think my favorite conceit of the whole thing is that we have those queens that fly out of new mexico and like cause a ruckus for davy crockett in, in texas mm-hmm. and uh, then they fly out to los angeles to go to the tunnels um under, and they're okay so they're mostly talking about the sewer tunnels but there are underground tunnels in los angeles yeah that that they're there and a thing i realized watching this is okay there's a meme that goes around that's like if i had a nickel for every time blank happened i would have 10 cents but it's still weird that it happened twice. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, it's from some cartoon. I don't know what the show is, but I was like, this is one of those examples. If I had a nickel for every time James Whitmore was in a movie where a guy had to crawl around in sewer pipes, I would have 10 cents, but it's weird that it happened twice. It is a bit. Yeah. We, we also get my favorite stupid thing from this movie that I yeah. just had to, it's, I just, I just broke down and just, mm-hmm. flying saucers shaped like ants. Yeah. A saucer is a round thing. It's not shaped like an ant. And so here, like I looked, because yes, I also thought it was funny, but then I thought about it. So I looked into it a little bit. We didn't really use UFO at the time. No, that's and, that's, that's true. But And so like when it got, when you're, when you consider the fact of like, I don't know, I, I don't know the term UFO, but I know the term flying saucer to mean to be about the same kind of thing. Sure. Like, it does work it, yeah, logically yeah. in 1954, but yeah. <laughs> not yeah. in 2023. <laughs> not not so much. And I mean, nope. even even then, I mean, you know, people in 1954 had saucers. That's not a new invention. They knew what saucers were. Mm-hmm. Go underneath a teacup. It's it's round. Right? It's just like it's a like, catch-all oh, for yeah, anything. That's, that's a flying saucer shaped like a duck. Mm-hmm. That's a flying saucer shaped like a b-52 that's a flying saucer shaped like a fucker triplane <laughs> Come I on. Know, like a like a good humor truck yeah exactly yeah um but yeah i think it was just the catch-all term at the time even if it didn't really make sense um but earth versus flying saucers came out around this time too i think yeah so. yeah so yeah i yeah no i'm with you though it's it was really funny but then i had to like surely yeah. there's yeah, surely no, someone I, had an argument about this but i'm i'm, I'm there maybe with not. you but, yeah, I mean, it's like yeah, yeah. okay, fine. Oh, no, it's still funny. No, it's it, it, still... it is. It's 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 yeah. it's still stupid and still funny. But yeah. mm-hmm. okay, carry on. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So this was the first time I had a real proper watch of it. I had, I'd have like I used to work at a video store, um, but I don't think I ever watched this when I was working at the video store. But I worked at another place where we'd have movies on in the background sometimes, and this was I definitely played this. Um, in the background at least once and because i do remember hearing the wilhelm screams i don't think i ever really sat down and properly watched it and to be honest i think it works more than it doesn't i mean like it yeah it definitely looks like a 1950s you know creature feature monster movie but you know i think it's kind of fun and and it's it really is a good template for these kinds of movies this is the first big bug movie out of this i mean we have you know the deadly mantis may have actually more in common with beasts of Twenty Thousand fathoms 
but um but you know like tarantula comes out of this the beginning of the end comes out of this there's like there's a whole myriad of these big bug movies and we haven't really had a like we'll have big bugs in things we don't really have big bug movies the last one i can really remember making a big splash was eight-legged freaks and yeah yeah i can't really and that movie is a lot of fun it knows what it is it knows exactly what it is and it has fun with it and i remember leonard malton talking about it being like look it's a good movie i don't like spiders (laughs) 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 so like yeah and so and this is like so for them i think is like i'm gonna give it a b plus because it's super entertaining and uh it kind of gives a great example of what it is in its time frame and showing yeah. the cultural zeitgeist that is both concerns about atomic energy, but also the, Oh, don't worry. We'll fix it. We'll figure it out. We're, yeah. we got, we got it together. Y'all. No, I'm, I'm there with you. Cause like, you know, from, from a baseline, this is a, this is a B movie. This is the B feature. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was though. That, well, and that's, 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 yeah. that's weird, but just, just for the subject matter, it's like, okay, yeah, the, you, you got yeah. one or two, you know, fairly well-known actors in it, but mm-hmm. I mean, this this is still on the face of it B material, but this is mm-hmm. kind of an archetype, and it's probably the best example of you know. Like I said, there are dozens of movies that are basically mm-hmm. exactly like this. Yep. This is better than pretty much any of them. Yeah, so. the only one that I think could that is potentially like is almost as good. I don't know if it's quite as good. Is, is Tarantula uh, by Jack yeah, Arnold? Yeah. Um, and that one, that one's pretty good. It's that one. The reason why. I picked this because I think it fits fits better with with matinee for one thing. Although I think Joe Dante borrowed from Tarantula a fair amount with Mant and that too. But like this has this is because of atomic issues. <laughs> so whereas in in Tarantula it isn't like uh, Leo G. Carroll is just kind of like messing around with radiation and stuff. There isn't like any atomic blasts or anything in that one. Yeah. So that, that that was kind of why I wanted to do it. Leo yeah. G. Carroll over a barrel when Tarantula took to the hills. Uh, but yeah, so like I'm a big fan of this. <laughs> Definitely worth checking out. Um, and then yeah, so that was that was our first feature in our presentation. Pat, if these monsters got started as a result of the first atomic bomb in 1945, what about all the others that have been exploded since then? I don't know. Nobody knows, Robert. When man entered the atomic age, he opened a door into a new world. What we'll eventually find in that new world, nobody can predict. I say there are things better left unsolved. Who knows what waits for us in nature's no man's land? Impossible, unbelievable, fantastic. But I tell you, it could happen. It could happen. It could happen. The beast, the beast, the beast from 20,000 fathoms. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Alive, surging up from the depths of the sea on a tidal wave of terror to wreak vengeance on mankind. Godzilla, king of the monsters, it's alive! Even science was stunned. The new atomic miracle should have been mankind's greatest boon. Instead, when such power to cause phenomenal growth proved dangerously unstable, man was confronted with his most shocking blunder. A blunder that transformed a tiny insect into the hundred-foot spider that was now ravaging the panic-stricken countryside. And so in between, I gave us a bunch of trailers to watch. And so because that's what would happen. You Trailers are called trailers because they trailed the first feature originally. Mm-hmm. And so we had and so we uh, to start that off, I had us watch the Beast of 20,000 Fathoms which is, uh, I really like that trailer because it has all those people like superimposed on top of like a like an explosion be like impossible, but it could happen like mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And then a lot of the people running around stuff would be recycled in Mant um, in matinee. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's actually a shot of that is straight up lifted out of, <laughs> out of, <laughs> out of it. That's uh, mm-hmm. the, when, uh, when Bill as an ant is shaking a car and like throws the car. There's like a, like when I first sat down and watched Beast of 20,000 Fathoms, I was like, oh, that's in Mant. Like, yep. <laughs> yep. And then, and then follow this up with the Gojira 
trailer. So that is mm-hmm. the Japanese trailer for Godzilla. And uh, the reason why I had us going to this is because like, I wanted to also talk about the nuclear paranoia that it wasn't just in America, but also in Japan. And we will have a later film in our series where we'll look at that a little bit more in depth. But, you know, Godzilla is kind of how like is an example of the Japanese way of looking at this. Um, They also I mean, it's not so 20,000 Fathoms was a big influence on the structure of it, but the there was the a fishing boat that got exposed to radiation in Japan that you know was also a big influence on it. And if you watch the Atomic Cafe, you can actually watch the newsreels where they talk about having to like bury tuna um, because it got irradiated too much. Um, but then after that, you go into the Godzilla King of the Monsters trailer, um, which is in English and has Raymond Burr in it, and it's a fascinating way to compare the two of them because. It's fun to see how what Japan would promote versus what America would pr- would promote, mm-hmm. and yeah, well, and yeah, the, because yeah. the American releases were not identical to the Japanese releases. Nope. They, they well, yeah, we had some Raymond Burr in, and mm-hmm. you know, little little bits sort of around the Japanese film here and mm-hmm. there. He apparently filmed all of his stuff in twenty four hours. I don't doubt it. Yeah, and and there are moments in that, like, and I want, I don't know if this is true, but I but the beginning of the movie starts with like him in rubble and kind of going through the rest of it. And like, I want the rubble scene to be the last thing that he filmed because he just looks like hell and it would make sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. For a, for a shooting schedule, it totally would. Yeah. Like what I hope, but I, I don't know. If okay. That's, if we're going to start your day here, here. Yeah. And yeah, mm-hmm. in, in the movie, you're going to actually start out coming out of this pile of rubble, but for, for shooting, that's where you're going to end up. Yeah. Maybe we'll pull you out at the end if you're lucky. All right. All right. Do I have to go be a lawyer in this one? No. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, another old TV joke. Um, but yeah, so, and I think Godzilla King of the Monsters, not only did we add Raymond Burr, we also kind of like trimmed down the, the love triangle that's kind of happening in the Japanese version. Uh, you can watch both of them, both versions of it on the Criterion channel. If that's the thing mm-hmm. you're into. But yeah, they're, it's, it's a fascinating. I watched Godzilla King of the Monsters when my mother-in-law came to visit last time because uh, she had apparently never seen all of it. We, we had a good time because, you know, it has the guy from Seven Samurai in it as, right? as, as like the lead scientist to solve the problem. And then after the Godzilla trailer, she would go into the Tarantula trailer to see just another example of a big bug movie. And then we would go into the Tingler trailer, which is a which is a William Castle movie. And has you know, William Castle, Vincent Price movie. It's not an Atomic Age movie, but there's a reason why I had us watch this trailer. And that would be for better context going into our second feature. I'm William Castle, and I feel obligated to warn you about the next attraction you will see at this theater. The picture is The Tingler, which I directed. And for the first time in motion picture history, members of the audience, including you, will actually play a part in the picture. You will feel some of the physical reactions, the shocking sensations experienced by the actors on the screen. I guarantee that the Tingler has more shocks per minute than my last film, The House on Haunted Hill. Yes, the atomic bomb is terrible, but more terrible still are the effects of atomic mutation. Hello, I'm Lawrence Wolsey, and I want to warn you about something that could happen something that does happen in my newest motion picture. Observe the ant, a miniature marvel of social cooperation and prodigious strength. But if a man and an ant were exposed to radiation simultaneously, the result would be terrible indeed. For the result would be mant. So from 1993, as we record, this movie is 30 year old movie. Yep. Which was weird to me. One that I had heard about, but never actually gotten around to, to watching until mm-hmm. until uh, yesterday as we record this. Joe Dante's Matinee starring John Goodman. Yeah. And it's it's John Goodman's like he's the name actor in it. And, you know, Kathy Moriarty, you'll recognize from things, too. She was in Raging Bull and she's, she's yeah. the villain in, in Casper and such. But uh, yeah. And Kelly Martin went on to do some other things when mm-hmm. she was a little bit older than she was here. Right. But yeah. And we also get the regular Joe Dante stalwarts of Dick Miller and uh, Richard Picardo, who who is a Star Robert, Trek guy. Robert, Robert sorry, Picardo. Robert, Robert Picardo, who is a Star Trek guy, right? Uh, yeah, he he would yeah. become uh, just a, a couple of years later, and is very much so now. But no, he's he's been in lots of other things. He was in like a Total Recall, mm-hmm. um, or at least his voice and sort of his likeness was. He, he himself <laughs> did not appear on camera. 
Yeah, he's in most Joe Dante movies. I don't remember if he's in the first. I don't know. He's not in the first Gremlins because he's in the second Gremlins as a particularly slimy char- character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But here uh, he's Howard, the theater owner. Mm-hmm. And so this is about a about John Goodman um, releasing a new movie called Mant, which is a atomic age horror film about a man who while getting his x-rays done dental x-rays <laughs> his dental x-rays because he's he is exposed to radiation gets bitten by an ant and slowly transforms into one mm-hmm. it's kind of like it's borrowing a lot from them but it's also borrowing a lot from tarantulas borrowing a lot from uh the fly yeah. uh, the, the, the original fly um not so much the jeff goldblum one but the vincent price one and yeah and so he is he is going to show this movie in key west which is just 90 miles from cuba oh and by the way this is happening during the cuban missile crisis the 13 days in which we found out that russia was doing things with cuba thus making the entire eastern seaboard a possible target for the cold war yeah and so this is really a so although john goodman is the star and has top billing it's really simon fenton's story Mm -hmm. as gene it's a coming-of-age story in you know 19th in like October 1962 um, during this and his dad is a he works for the Navy and he's on the boats that's going to go deal with the situation we never really see dad we only see dad in a home movie and in pictures yeah yeah just yeah. very briefly and we we hear his voice from from off screen in a, mm-hmm. in, a in a sequence and but yeah he's he's not really present in the movie his presence is felt it's it's important his absence is is there but it's like mm-hmm. you know it's 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 clear yeah he He's a loving family man and you know, misses his wife and kids. And mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a coming of age movie. And it this did not do super well when it came out um, because I think it's a very difficult movie to promote. Uh, I, when, yeah. I, when I when I when I've seen the trailers for this, they don't they kind of play up the comedy of it. And it is a comedy movie. I mean, like that's it is. It's, that's it's where it's I very shelved much it. A sitcom. That's, yeah. yeah, it's it's uh, that's where I shelved it when, uh, you know, when I worked at the video store and it's. And it is funny. It is very funny. But it's also like this coming of age movie that has a lot to do with like loving old B movies. And so this is definitely a thing that is going to really resonate with a certain crowd. When I saw so Tim and I went to the TCM Film Festival and I got to watch Harvey for the first time. And Harvey was introduced by Joe Dante. And the guy who introduced Joe Dante talked about this being potentially being his best movie. And this is a very autobiographical movie for him because mm-hmm. for, for Joe Dante, because like he saw a lot, saw Gene, a lot of himself in it. And I think a lot of heart kind of translates into that. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really does. Um, so we, we never get really super deep with any of the characters because it is, it is a sitcom. Don't expect too much, but I mean, it, it does uh, we, all of that very well. We do with um, Gene and that's who we should. In well, this cons- yeah, more, in more this. than anybody else. Yeah. You know, and we, we still don't really get super, super deep. It's like we, we scratch a little more, you know, mm-hmm. beneath the surface than we do with, with other characters. Yeah. But it's, 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 this is not really that kind of a movie. It's a comedy mm-hmm. and that's, it's, it's supposed to be, it's, you know, not like, yeah. not like, you know, some, some other modern comedies where it's like, it's, mm-hmm. it's all about going deep and, and being psychological. And mm-hmm. That's, that's cool too. But this, this is not that. Um, this is going deeper know. in a different place, I feel. Yeah, yeah. Like this is this isn't doing it through our characters as it is going through. This is looking at that zeitgeist again. Mm-hmm. Um, John, John Goodman has all these really interesting speeches where he talks about going to horror movies and realizing you're alive. And 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 like Gene is a monster kid. Gene is into like Gene is a, you know, he's a naval brat. So he's moving around a lot. And so his friends are like, Vincent Price, <laughs> like they're the yeah. the people in the horror movies that he's seeing, and so for him, like he's dealing with all this anxiety and stuff by you know seeing horror movies and like kind of going through it in that way, and that kind of explains why the fifties had such a big resurgence in in horror movies and into the sixties because we had this thing we were all worried about. There's a really good anxiety dream in the middle of it where Gene is. He's he's asleep and he thinks he hears his dad and he opens up the, the front door and it's an atomic blast and everything explodes. And, it, and I like that's a very good example of the kind of dreams you have when you're worried about this sort of thing. Yeah. And so having using a horror film to give you that kind of catharsis to deal with that fear makes a lot of sense. We're not really getting that with Mance. We're just kind of getting that in why John Goodman makes horror movies. Um, yeah, he, yeah. So yeah. it's 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 specifically how that's that's set against the backdrop of the Cold War and and the Cuban yep. Missile Crisis, but you know the best time broadly, to put out a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. More yeah. more broadly, you know, 
how how these people sort of relate to the world and and the stories that they tell and and remember and you know how that shapes how they they look at things and how they deal with them mm-hmm. yeah and I, so that's where i think that's like i would now call this movie shallow because it is reckoning with that but you're right it, the it, characters it, it we is, don't go yeah. very deep with the characters because no, no that's they're not what we're focusing on here yeah so. they're they're you know they're 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 model characters mm-hmm. and that's okay like yeah. it's uh yeah and uh so like a little bit about the context of this um so this is so this is joe Dante. this to me this is this is andrew's peak joe dante time you a lot of people would put gremlins i know tim you're not a super big fan of, of, eh. of gremlins but um to me like that's the movie that really made joe dante joe dante um he had made a name for himself with a howling and he had he had done part of the twilight zone movie and so he he kind of learned from the roger corman film school then got with the spielberg crowd and there's a big amblin kind of feel to this there, there really is yeah yeah and so you can kind of see that in him and maybe joe dante is the is like the where the the middle venn diagram of spielberg and joe and roger corman it's um yeah know. yeah in yeah. in between there is right where joe dante's yeah. groove is and he's yeah. boy is he in it yeah, and he's yeah and so this so like i always kind of think this is his peak period for me because basically the burbs gremlins to the new batch and this movie are to me is like his three best movies. And in between this, he makes Erie, Indiana. Now he didn't like create the show, but he was really involved mm. with it. And so, and that's where Omri Katz comes from that the kid who's also the guy from Hocus Pocus and <laughs> like, yeah. So, so like, to me, that's like, this is peak Joe Dante for me. And I, then I generally think of this as his best movie too. So a lot of this has to deal with um, making movies. And because of that, we have a character that is this is almost a movie for people who love movies in so much that john goodman is very much william castle and william castle did the tingler trailer that i had you guys watch before we go into this mm-hmm. and and the tingler trailer is very similar to the mant trailer that we see and william castle wanted to be alfred hitchcock <laughs> um and that's <laughs> uh, like why he was in his trailers um so the scene where the the gas station guy wants wants the autograph and says, thank you, Mr. Hitchcock. Like that's definitely a nod to that. I and, love John Goodman's expression. Uh-huh. I love seeing movie. him was, scratch was, out his name. Like I just love brilliant. <laughs> yep. Um, and so this is, and, and, and yeah. And so William Castle, his big shtick was gimmicks. Like, so he had a lot of movies and I've seen two of his movies with the gimmick. And so, and, I, and I'll explain where they are in this movie. So Emerjo was for House on Haunted Hill, Vincent Price movie, where at a certain part of the, the end of the movie, and anyone, and it's very easy to watch the original House on Haunted Hill. It is in the public domain. You can watch it on YouTube. You can watch it on archive. It's very easy to watch. I encourage you. It's one of the best Vincent Price movies. At the end of the movie, a skeleton would come out of a little little coffin and kind of float over the audience and people would throw popcorn at it. And it's it's kind of funny. Um, and I, <laughs> I've seen a movie with Emerjo and it was absolutely a blast in this case we kind of see that with the character dressed up as a giant ant come like because there are scenes yeah. in mant that where the ant like runs into a theater and so yeah that's the, where the that movie is. within the movie plays with the audience in the movie but also with us the audience watching matinee exactly and uh there are buzzers in the seats um this is a reference to the tingler which is about uh which is which is a vincent price movie where vincent price cuts out this lobster looking monster out of that everyone has one of these in that world uh, the tingler is the thing that causes you to scream and uh, he ends up cutting it out of someone who is uh, out of a mute and it is very developed because it's never you know they there's mm-hmm. never been a scream mm-hmm. and so it gets loose in a movie theater at one point in that movie and William Castle had the forethought of putting buzzers in the seats of that. And so if you felt the buzz, you were supposed to scream for your life. Um, But it was only certain seats. It wasn't every seat, unlike (laughs) in this movie. When I saw The Tingler, I did not have a sensation seat. And it was, I was very disappointed. My friend did, but yeah. And uh, yeah. And then Fright fright Insurance is also something that we see in this with Kathy Miardi dressed up as a nurse. Nurse, I think I cut my arm. That's terrible. Or I don't remember what she says, but yeah. Um, very funny mm-hmm. or like oh, look my friend fainted he did uh <laughs> yeah so fried insurance was uh something he came up for a movie called macabre which which is it which doesn't have any like big stars that you'll recognize but it is an interesting little moody piece that has to deal with someone being buried alive and that was his that's the first william castle william castle movie he had made other movies before 
he made some film noirs and he made like a, I think a Western or two, but that was the first time he started making William Castle movies. And so that's all throughout this movie. Um, John and John Goodman is very much playing that part and he's really, really doing great in it. Yeah. Like another thing that resonates different now than when I watched it the first time is the panic buying scene, having lived through seeing some of that. There's no more shredded wheat in the back. There's no more shredded wheat in the whole keys, and one of you will have to go through the atomic destruction with no damn shredded wheat. How did, yeah. how did that shake out yeah. for you, Tim? Yeah, um, that was that was sort of eerily familiar. Um, I I was fortunate that I was not directly uh, involved with with very much of that. I you know some some little bit before things really got hairy had happened mm-hmm. to you know no I. Okay, I'm 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 at you know you know big discount box retail store. I'm gonna buy some of these non-perishables because mm-hmm. I happen to be low, and mm-hmm. so you know toilet paper. I had toilet paper. I I was fine. I I bought that before everything really closed down. So yeah. instead of shredded weed, it was it was toilet paper. Yeah, yeah. Here yep. here there was the box of shredded weed. Now that, that was a a clever little bit there. That, that and was, the yeah. the teacher, Mister Elroy, the guy who also gives us the advice about. Mm-hmm diet um that's that's the the screenwriter yeah. charlie haas <laughs> so yeah that's that's pretty fun um another thing that hits different post-pandemic well not like it's post-pandemic but well you know what i mean um yeah. is uh the fallout shelter stuff mm-hmm. also kind of feels different uh but yeah like uh but honestly it just kind of and this is the first time i realized there's a post-credit scene there, there I, was yeah i, I have watched I, this I movie know. so many times i this i got this movie when i was a kid like when like when I was like nine, eight or nine years old and it was, I didn't see it in the theater, but someone had said, this is the kind of movie that Andrew would probably like to my mom. And so they were right. like, we, we rented it. And like, I, like, and then I got like a used copy back when you would buy used VHSs from via, from video <laughs> nice. stores. And I would like watch it every summer at some point. So I like, like this movie is probably part of the reason why I like William Castle movies. It's probably part of the reason why I like B movies. It's like, yeah. So that's pretty important. And for Andrew specifically. Yeah, no, um, I, I, like I said, only saw this for the first time uh, mm. yesterday as, as yeah. we were recording. I really dug it. It's, it's a lot of fun. I, I think it very much works as a, uh, you know, if, if we hadn't done it as part of this, it totally could have been, you know, part of our uh, movies for people who yeah, love movies. Yeah. 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 Yeah, when, when we first started kicking, yeah. coming up with that idea, this was one of the first movies I thought yeah. of. Yeah, it 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 came up. It it fits here too. Yeah, I I really dug it. I didn't know about the post credit scene. I you know just sort of as a rule tend to watch through to the end of the credits anyway, even when mm-hmm. there isn't because really there shouldn't be. There happened mm-hmm. to be here, and that was a neat little surprise. Yeah, yeah, and like, and I've been watching this movie for you know a very long time. And yeah, so it's, it hasn't, it gets, it gets better just about every time I watch, well, not better, like, no, no, it gets better every time I watch it because I noticed something new that I hadn't before. Yeah, I, and, and I, I get that. There, there are yeah. lots of little blink and you miss it kind of details here. I, I feel like this is aged well. Yeah, I agree. And I think I brought this up with the Fablemans that this would be a good pairing with the Fablemans. Yeah, this would be a yeah. great pairing with the Fablemans. Yeah. And it's or ET for that matter. Yeah, or any kind of like Amblin thing. Like I think it would probably yeah. even like even like this isn't exactly an Amblin, or maybe it was an Amblin movie. I think Spielberg was involved, but I don't know if they got uh, like I don't know if it became an Amblin movie or not. But um, Super Eight. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Spielberg was involved with that, and I. But I don't know if it was an I, Amblin I think, thing. I think the Amblin label was on that as as well okay. as um, a Bad Robot. But yeah, uh, yeah. So. Yeah, no, I, I really like this movie. I, I also like its alternative, more atomic age sounding title in, in other markets where the word matinee didn't mean what it means. It's also called Panic at Florida Beach, which is a very 50s B-movie title, I got to admit. It, it is. I mean, that's 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 kind of fitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Um, yep. Matinee as a title works for me better than them. Yep. For our previous <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Go on, go on. Yeah, so uh, another another honorable mention here: uh, movies with great soundtracks. This does not make the top ten, but it it, it it yeah, it's 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 a it's a solid Jerry Goldsmith score. You know, he's he's done lots lots better, but he plainly understood the assignment. This mm-hmm. is this was exactly the music that this movie needed. Mm-hmm. It doesn't you know the the score underneath reach out and grab you, but it it perfectly underscores the action and the uh, you know popular music selection. Some of those just little hits with with the visual cues for what's going mm-hmm. on on screen are 
just spot on and i couldn't mm-hmm. help but laugh like uh, things that are also spot on was the fake disney movie with naomi watts that oh, they yeah. go see yeah the uh yeah. The, the shook yeah. up shopping cart mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep i was like yeah. oh yeah disney made a lot of movies exactly like that one around yep. that time mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, I love that it's naomi watts i think that's just hilarious <laughs> um yeah oh speaking of cameos um did you did you notice the star trek cameo in them I missed it. All right. So that's so the you remember there. So there's a soldier that comes and says, Texas has got all those big tails or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that yeah guy, that's um, Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy, uncredited with, mm-hmm. with like a line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like uh, what's so I mean, going back to, to matinee. So like I love this movie. I actually think watching it with them made it like a better experience. Yeah. And yeah. And it wasn't the kind of thing where it's done with so much homage and like it makes it makes matinee a better movie um even though it's a movie that i really like and i grew up with this movie so it's really hard for me to like look at it objectively um but for me this is this is an a minus movie but if it's (laughs) but that may be but when i try to take away andrew's love for it um it's Mm. probably a b plus movie but like for me it's an a minus i love it so much i could rewatch it all the time and did rewatch it like every summer for years so yeah having having only seen it once i'm in a Mm. very very similar position like i I, I smiled and warmed the, the cockles of my little movie nerd heart so much. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, take, taking my own, you know, personal baggage away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this, this is well-made. It's like, yeah, A minus B plus. I, I, I'd, I'd still give it the A minus, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sleeper hit easy to see how it would have yeah. not been well-marketed. Yeah. yeah. I think it did. Okay. Video wise. I think. Yeah. Like, I think it did yeah. okay market that wise. No, no, I I just love it. Um, so all right, before we go, um, what is so uh, what were some things that you saw in between the two movies that you saw like the the influence of other movies on? Because like I'm with with Matinee, we see a lot of William Castle, we see a lot of you know big bug movies, we see a lot of that stuff, but I feel like there's some stuff like that in them as well. And I was wondering if you had if you'd noticed anything. So uh specific influences for them, not not so much. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was you know clearly born out of you know the 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 fear of you know atomic energy and and bugs. People are scared of bugs. That's mm-hmm. a fairly ordinary thing. It's like, well, what if we took them and made them really freaking giant? Okay, I mean, yeah, that that seems like a pretty straightforward monster movie premise, um, right? And, and there's so the... I'm, I'm sure there are things that came before. I mean, you know. Um, Gojira was was obviously older than this, and you know, no, no, no. This actually this came out about the same time. Okay, so, so yeah, so, uh, so this uh, both fifty four, yeah. and okay, American yeah. audiences wouldn't have seen Gojira until no, no, they they wouldn't. Yeah. Um, you know, got the Americanized version a little later, but yeah. um, you know, earlier movies like uh, King Kong, some of its yep. sequels, where you had you know giant creatures. Yeah, I definitely feel some Kong stuff in this. I also there's that Dracula thing with the boat stuff too yeah yeah there um, is a little bit yeah nowadays i feel like if uh, since it's a warner property they could be like down in the sewer tunnels they turn the corner and there's pennywise um <laughs> i'm sorry that like i'm gonna uh, that out. yeah um but it's i just thought it was funny um like oh yeah so at one point dr medford says this line later than you think mm-hmm. which i know that one of the screenwriters worked in radio and i'm wondering oh no they're breaking the fence oh well uh, you're going to hear some drills, folks. Sorry. Um, I live in a city where loud things happen. Um, but at one point, uh, Dr. Medford says it's later than you think. And I wondered if that was a lights out reference. So that was a, a like a horror mm. radio show from back in the day. And since one of them did work in radio, I wonder if that's that was something that that came about. And to be honest, a big ant thing would be a total Arch Obler kind of issue. Like in a in a story, it's sort of like yeah. Twilight Zone before Twilight Zone. Yeah, uh, I I can't remember offhand when uh, Orson Welles' War of the Worlds broadcast was. Uh, that was 39. Okay, so yeah, yeah pre- predates them. Mm-hmm. Predates them, but there's definitely part of that in this too. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so like I think there's, I don't know, this like the, the thing I like about this whole chunk of programming is that we get to see how things become become part of each other become become like really influence other movies and how the paranoia that we can have as a whole society can permeate into our movies so that's yeah i don't know that's just what i really like about that and so in our next movies we're going to be not doing super hardcore atomic age movies these were our two 
like movies like this we will mm, um yeah for yeah. our ne- our next one is still kind of an is still an atomic age movie but it's coming at it from a very different place mm-hmm. so. so in a yeah another another nod to uh rocky horror lyrics mm-hmm. robert wise's the day the earth stood still mm-hmm. okay so for andrew it's a, his top robert wise movie it probably makes top three for a lot of people, but for a lot of people, the top two are West Side Story and Sound of Music. So, I love. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's 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 he had he, some. Range, he did a lot did, of stuff. Did Robert Wise? Um, yep. And we'll, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, and we can touch on that when when we get to it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll definitely talk about that. So, yep. but for now, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Well, as I was saying. I wouldn't worry nearly as much about the atom bomb if it were to kill you right out. What scares me is that awful gas that deforms you. Yeah. That would be bad. Yeah.